The Spatial Jam, an Esri UK podcast. I think GIS can certainly make a much bigger impact than it has today. It also requires collaboration between multiple different decision makers. Which may then mean that they become the next generation of research scientists that actually make a difference. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Spatial Jam. I'm Eleni, your host for today's episode. We're going to explore the role that GIS has to play in understanding the impacts of climate change. And to ensure we get the most out of this episode, I'm pleased to welcome two very special guests with us today. Hi, I'm Adi Pope. I'm the Higher Education Manager for Esri UK and Ireland. I've been with Esri for about seven years. And prior to that, I was working for Edina at the University of Edinburgh, also in GIS education. Hi, uh, my name is Miles Gabros. I'm Head of Business Development uh, within the government team, and I'm also the Disaster Response Programme Lead for Esri UK. Um, but I'm also the Account Manager for the Met Office, um, and as their geospatial channel partners, uh, we're jointly investigating how to improve both the utility and the reach of their weather and climate data. So that's particularly relevant to this podcast. Brilliant. And it's amazing to have you both on today. I guess climate change is one of the greatest, if not the greatest challenge that humanity must face to ensure our collective survival. And science plays a really crucial role in being able to communicate how climate change might impact us. And I think we've learned GIS is is no doubt a part of that very, very intricate science. My first question to the both of you is, we know it's really hard to apply this climate change study uh, to the stuff we rely on in our daily lives. Do you think that GIS is a tool that's changed the way we think about climate change? Um, so I think I think GIS has helped and it has supported. Um, and if you do, you know, if you search online for GIS and climate change, you'll find all sorts of discrete instances where GIS is used in the climate sphere. So it's used for visualization of climate data. It's used for climate trend analysis and, and assessing things like biomass and, and carbon. So certainly it is in use, certainly it has helped. But I think, you know, we need to be very careful not to be arrogant about how how useful GIS has been at this stage because you know, we're at a position where COP is around the corner and COP is uh, targeting um, countries uh, and bodies and saying, we're still f- trying to focus, we're still trying to um, limit global temperature change to 1.5 degrees. But at the moment, we're at 1.1, 1.2 degrees with gas emission trends still in an upward trajectory. Mm -hmm. So for us to say that GIS has made it anything other than a nominal impact, I think would be overstating it. That said, I think GIS can certainly make a much bigger impact than it has today. That's really interesting. I think there's a lot of complexity within the climate change, not just studies, but understanding how it's going to impact us what are the adaptation strategies? Um, Addy, what do you think about that in terms of you know your education background? Do you think that GIS has played a crucial role in, in changing maybe how we think about how we tackle climate change? I'd, yeah, I'd echo what uh, Miles said. The climate models that have been run by climate scientists produce really quite complicated outputs. 
And they tend to be visualized on a map because it makes sense because climate change is going to affect the entire world. But the GIS community hasn't really, I suppose, got to grips with that um, climate model output. And we talk about assets and things which are spread out through space um, and and how they're going to be affected over time. And that really is the bread and butter of, of GIS. And it's when we can apply those climate model outputs to our assets and our lives that I think GIS will become increasingly relevant. And you can see a change in the conversation um, from this nebulous thing called climate change, which often sounds like it's going to happen to somebody else somewhere else. But it's actually going to happen to us here in the UK. And we're starting to have more impact studies and risk and adaptation and mitigation studies. And that's really where the GIS can start start happening. I, I don't imagine that a GIS uh, team in a university would ever go, oh, let's run a climate model and see what we can do. <laughs> I'd leave that for the climate scientists. Take their output and start applying it to the stuff that we know and we understand, which is space and time. Yeah. So it's almost flipping that use of GIS as a tool on its head rather than, you know, being being an intricate part of that science in modeling climate change. It's a tool that can help to visualize, but then also uh, analyze, you know, proximity of certain things. So, for example, sea level rise, the proximity of of um, vulnerable populations towards the coast, all of these sorts of things, where we can bring in those spatial layers and understand that a little bit more, and and, and help to make decisions on on what we should do. So, I guess my next question, actually, Miles, I was going to ask you this question: in your space that you've worked with customers. Have you seen examples where, you know, GIS has been used in that sense? So it's been used to help tackle an impact of climate change in a in a, probably a micro level in a in a in a local level environment. I think what I'm seeing, which is probably not answering your question directly, but actually is more exciting, is a willingness and an, and an understanding that taking a more spatial perspective on climate could actually have massive benefits. So the work we're doing with the Met Office, as I said, is about looking at how do we take climate data and also weather data, but how do we take that, as Addy said, that really complex scientific data that is incredibly difficult to create, incredibly complex, and, and actually quite difficult to understand, but is currently largely released in scientific formats um, via scientific APIs, via, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So for most organizations, whether government, commercial, et cetera, that might have a GIS team, they're really struggling to access that data. So what we're looking to do is to support the Met Office as their geospatial channel partner and and see whether putting a spatial perspective on it can really put a rocket up the ability for GIS to support. So if we can release climate data as geospatial services, that means that GIS can play its role. So GIS is brilliant at being an interoperable solution. So it allows you to bring together completely discrete data sets into, into a solution that includes geography. So you don't need your common keys. You don't need some database way of joining data together. Geography gives you that capability. So if you can bring in uh, climate model data uh, and you can bring in information about uh, what what you're trying to apply that climate understanding to so your assets as a business but you can also bring in reference geographies at an appropriate scale so if we go back to your example about flood levels we can bring in the climate predictions we can bring in the current flood the current uh, sea levels and we've got detailed enough reference geography that we can see 
what a five centimeter rise in in uh, sea levels will do. Geog- geography and GIS can then play their role, which is they can help to to allow organisations to understand the impact on them, on their assets, on the things that are important to them. So I think that's where GIS should do what GIS does well, which is integrate disparate data, allow it to be visualised, allow it to be modelled, and allow it to analyse against business data. Definitely. I think everything that you've said there kind of points towards this is a very complex problem. It involves a huge amount of disparate data sources that don't have a centralised source at the moment. And and unlocking that is potentially a way of unlocking GIS to play that role um, in, in understanding those impacts. So it's really interesting to hear you to talk about those challenges that are actually there in allowing us to use GIS as a tool um, to to combat the impacts of climate change. One of the things I'm hearing as well is is the accessibility of it. You know, there's been a lot of examples that I've seen um, where public data science or citizen science has been used as a tool as well with alongside GIS. And it's about making that tool accessible in order to generate that kind of change and, and generate that uh, influence that we can have uh, in our local communities, but also on a global scale as well. So Addy, it really interesting to kind of take this back a step and think about, well, actually, the next generation of users of GIS, you know, starting in education, starting in university, they're going to have a huge, huge impact. And arguably now they should be looking at these sorts of things and being able to use the tools that we have available. What do you think needs to change or what do you think the future of GIS is in in climate education? Well, I I think the fundamental thing with the next generation, uh, are they getting called Generation Zero now? I've heard that being bandied around with COP. If they're the generation that are going to take us to net zero, The important thing is to make sure that they all understand what climate change is and how it will impact lives both in the UK and and wider. I think the UK has got quite a temperate climate. We've got nothing extreme in the UK, so the changes that we will see will not be the extremes. Uh, That doesn't mean that we need to um, take our foot off the gas. Really bad analogy there, we're using gas as an analogy. But um, we shouldn't uh, let up on our, our, our mission to get to net zero. But specifically with GIS... It's about access to data, uh, but it's not about access to data, is it? Because if we think about data, data is it's 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 gold, but is it useful and usable? Probably not. So we often talk about the transition from data to information, and then that transition from information to knowledge. And I see GIS really being at the interface between data and information. And if you're good at what you do in your GIS, you can make an output, which might be a map, Um, which then allows non-expert users to extract knowledge from the map, from that information. And if we look at the problem that we've probably got with climate science is that the outputs that come out are are, are already visual, they're already maps. But if you want to get access to the data, the data is very complicated. So there's, there's kind of a gap and it's not really in a teachable format for your average school teacher let alone your um, fledgling GIS student who's had 10 weeks of of GIS training in a product probably beginning with ARC. So how do you make that data accessible and usable so as they can take their enthusiasm and their passion about climate and sustainability and translate that into knowledge and skills for themselves, which may then mean that they become the next generation of research scientists that actually make a difference to to the future of life on on planet Earth. Um, 
So what we've been doing is we've been working with the, the Met Office's education team to try and take some of the quite complicated uh, climate data from UKCP18 and make it accessible and teachable within a school's environment. So we see schools as almost the lowest common denominator. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, but if you can make the data accessible to to um, a 12-year-old or to a school teacher, then anybody can use it, with the exception probably of my dad, who would probably still break it. But, you know, I mean, um, joking aside, uh, if you can get it into schools, then what can the teachers do to inform the next generation of what's going to happen? Because the scary thing is, you know, we're talking about net carbon zero, but if we hit net carbon zero tomorrow, which is not going to happen, we would still probably have 20 or 30 years worth of climate mm -hmm. change happening. So we have to plan for that climate change. We have to mitigate the climate change, which is locked into the system. And this goes back to Miles's point. If we think about the organizations that Esri works with in the UK and globally, those organizations are waking up now to the realization that they need to do something to understand the exposure that they've got to locked in climate change. At the same time as society is trying to work out how it reduces its impact uh, of of its contribution towards climate change over the next 20 or 50 years, which will be from 2050, those manifestations will be from 2050 to 2100. And if you look at the climate models from the Met Office, the um, the model scenarios from actually doing something to carrying on as we are now, the models diverge at 2050. So we have to do something to get to net carbon zero around about 2050, in my opinion, but I'm not a climate scientist. This is just stuff <laughs> I've been reading. No, that's that's incredibly interesting. And just understanding how we make data information, rather, how we make information, useful information, um, available in the hands of, of, of school children and, you know, the general public, really, that don't have that climate science knowledge or to the customers that we work with that want to understand how their supply chains are potentially impacting climate change, how all of these interconnected factors are, are impacting their own businesses as well. So it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about um, those sorts of changes that you're working with, with the Met Office, making it more accessible. I think it's going to be really exciting to see what uh, comes out of that. So thank you, Addy. And I'd, I'd add to that as well, that that part of the work, if you imagine what would happen in, in a normal teaching scenario, maybe 10 years ago, maybe when you were at school, um, <laughs> you would probably have a textbook. And in that textbook, there would be a map of the UK and it would have mm -hmm. some sort of colour gradation across it. And it would be looking at a climate projection. And, you know, it's it's 10 centimetres high. And you're going, I wonder what it's like where we live. And then you look in and it's like, I can't really tell what colour it is. <laughs> And I'm looking at the key. And we know that ArcGIS Online gives you a much more interactive tool. And the work with the Met Office was really to take their really, really powerful data and make it into an interactive tool where teachers could look at the UK as a whole and then they could focus in on, you know, Grimsby or Aberdeen or wherever the kids were. And they can then see what the climate change will be where they are and where they fit within the spectrum of the UK. And ultimately, you could then scale that out to the whole world and you can then show them what the impact will be where they are and what they'll have to do to adjust. But what will mm -hmm. it be in Melbourne and Australia? What will it be in Delhi? How will people's spatial variation uh, influence the amount of impact of climate change? I think it's, it's about allowing the kids to ask and answer their own questions. So if you have enthusiastic kids with a spark in, 
in their brain. How can you give them a tool which allows them to drill in and ask and answer their own questions? And you don't really get that from a textbook, but we know that you can have it from an interactive map. That's really what we've been pushing for, but also then translating in risk and adaptation as well. So, you know, how will our railways be affected? How much more flooding might there be? How will crops be affected by, you know, uh, drought in the summer or just unseasonable rainfall? Um, so that could just be really heavy downpours at the worst possible time, just after you've planted the seeds or when you've got very uh, small saplings or seedlings, whatever they're called. I'm not, I'm not a farmer either. So just to add to what Addy's saying, I think that, that, you know, what we've been talking about thus far is really <clears throat> using GIS to evaluate the impacts, so getting that data out in an accessible format, using the power of GIS to bring it together with reference geography and asset information, uh, whatever that asset type is, whatever that business data is, to evaluate impacts and assess risk on that organisation or that part of a country or that local area. But I think once people start using GIS in these ways, what it will what will become very clear is that they can also use GIS to start looking at planning for mitigation and adaptation measures. So we will have to start planning for adaptation. So as Adi said, climate change is happening. It's going to continue happening, even if we got to net zero tomorrow, which we won't. It will continue happening for the next 30 years. There will be significant impacts from climate change. How do we as organisations, how do we as a country, how do we as communities adapt to that? So, for example, should we be looking at um, uh, measured retreat from uh, coastal areas? And if so, how do we do that by protecting life and livelihoods of people that live there? If we're looking at um, energy network assets, for example, how do we better protect those assets if we know that we're going to have more extreme weather, if we know we're going to have flooding? So we can start taking and, and assessing those adaptations measures and then beyond that I think if if organizations and communities and government bodies are starting to assess impacts and assess what they need to do to adapt to those impacts it will definitely encourage people to start thinking we need to do more we need to do more to mitigate the impacts of future climate change so what else can we do to hopefully reduce the level of adaptation that we're going to need to do so can we start using more solar can we start reducing our carbon footprint can we do x y and z but i think once people have the data and a tool that allows them to assess impacts that will worry them directly rather than being a global issue or be a local issue to them it will allow them to start looking at adaptation, which for businesses will be costly and even for governments will be extremely costly. And once people realise the impact on them, then they start looking at mitigation seriously and say, we need to do a lot more of X, Y and Z. And I think GIS can play a role in all of those areas. Definitely. Uh, it's I think the key thing that I've, I've heard from both of you on this episode is GIS is a tool definitely that can have um, an influence in how we understand climate change, how we understand those mitigation efforts. But ultimately, it's it's that person driving the tool um, to to develop that change. It it requires people to be concerned about it. It also requires collaboration between multiple different decision makers, multiple different authorities, um, businesses, all of those sort of things in between. So, probably my final question to put to you both, just to make sure that our listeners have something to go away and maybe read and, and learn more about some of the topics we've touched on today. If you were to suggest one key resource to learn more about this, what would it be? 
I, I think from my side, there'll be a couple of things. One would be um, we have, as Esri, we've just launched a new climate change page, but uh, it's a very strong focus for, for Esri and, and climate will be a cross-cutting theme across everything we do going forward. Uh, but certainly that climate change page is where we will start publishing more and more resource about how GIS can support. The other thing I would point people to is everything that's going on with COP. So within COP, we will be presenting alongside the Met Office and, and in fact, Addy will be presenting the education resources we've developed. Um, there are various other um, sessions. Uh, so the KTN Geospatial Pavilion, that is uh, 12 days of sessions uh, approaching, coming up to COP. So there is a lot of conversation in that about how geospatial and space-borne data can support uh, climate change. Um, so, so I think the efforts that are going on and the, the the events and the sessions within COP, but then also referencing from our website. Those are the two main resources I would point to. And because Miles had more than one, I'm going to go for more than one as well. And I'll probably have three. Plus um, a pearl of wisdom that, that came my way uh, a while ago. So my three resources, so the first one I would have to plug is obviously the resources that, that the education team at Esri UK has been working on. Uh, they're running our Teach with GIS hub, and it's an entire set of resources aimed at uh, school kids. So we're tackling key stage two, three, and four. So that's essentially from seven all the way to 16. And we're showing them climate science. Um, and then the... <clears throat> the impact and adaptation as a separate resource. And these resources have been uh, created in collaboration with the Met Office's education team. Mm. So we know that the science is as good as it can be. It's been raked over a couple of times <laughs> by uh, really passionate climate scientists. And without that input, it wouldn't be as strong as it is. And then it's got the ArcGIS engine in there with lots of dashboards making it interactive. I'd also say that at the moment, I think if that's in the hands of school teachers, they've now got better information than many CEOs of organisations <laughs> as to the actual impact that, that climate change will have on the UK. Because this data, the impact data comes from an academic paper that was only published in May. Wow. And we've hacked the data out of the appendices. And I think that's the first time it's been made publicly available in such an interactive format. And the authors do know, and we are co-presenting with them at, uh, at COP. Um, so it's fantastic. So finally, teachers are ahead of the game rather than lagging behind with waiting for publications to come out. What was my second one? There's a UK climate risk report, um, and that's very good. It, it's broken down into sections such as transport and energy. There's also a kids report, which is sort of seven PowerPoint slides, which is an amazing introduction if you don't have time to read all the other the other reports. Uh, but the UK Climate Risk Report, and they have a website, is fantastic because it's all about the UK and what we have to do to mitigate the climate change, which is definitely heading our way. The final one is going to be left field, but if you've got a holiday coming up, it is half term or it might have been half term. Read Bill Gates's book on how to avoid a climate disaster. <laughs> it's interesting he's an interesting character it's it's not a book of doom it's a book of hope it says technology is the key to escaping the problem that we are heading towards so it's a book of hope there are big problems but you have to start i mean you you have to overcome big problems by taking the first step first step we can okay. take is reading somebody else's uh, writings and he's distilled it down and what was the last thing i said a oh, pearl of wisdom so i asked an awkward question um, in a public forum a while ago, and that was why wasn't GIS necessarily being taken seriously at COP? You know, we've got a pavilion next to COP, 
And Vanessa Lawrence answered the question very well. She said, don't worry about it. COP is all about politicians talking about things that their governments are going to promise to do. And there's very little space to say anything or be heard at COP. What we, the GIS sector, need to do is wait for the outcomes of COP to come out for both global and local, i.e. the UK, and work out how we as a sector can contribute to making a sustainable future. And I thought that was quite a way, a good way to look at it. It's like, don't worry, yeah, don't worry, we're not at the top table of COP <laughs> because we're going to wait to hear what they say. We all know what we need to do and then we'll start doing it because we know our tools are relevant. So I thought that was a nice way to look at it. No, that is, that is definitely giving more hope. I think that might have been five. Oh, sorry about that. Miles started it. <laughs> but no, thank you. That's, that's been brilliant. So we'll be sure to link out to some of those resources in the episode page on our website. So Miles, Addy, thank you so much for uh, coming on. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to the Spatial Jam. We're always looking to improve our podcasts and make them right for you. So if you do have any ideas or feedback, please get in touch at podcast at esriuk.com. And don't forget a subscribe for your chosen podcast channel. It really does make a difference for us. So we'll hope you'll join us again soon. The views of the presenters may differ from those of Esri UK. Remember, we're not trying to save the world. The world will be fine. It's just we're trying to save ourselves.